Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. This is your home for progressive, thought-provoking real talk in the chiropractic profession. Featuring the legends, the innovators, and the thought leaders that move our profession forward. And now your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Okay, everyone, welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. What the heck is the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance? You can check us out at forwardthinkingchiro.com. And we have a Facebook group that is 10,000. I think we're up to almost 11,000 members strong. Uh, We have a private Facebook group for our members only. So if you're a member, you get to join that. It's got extra bonuses in there and lots of extra bonuses for being a member. Uh, And if you're not a Facebook type of person, we also have a Discord server a discord channel so that people who do not do social media can still communicate and get all the good stuff that we offer our members Uh, we are supported we have partners and sponsors so we support two organizations we support world spine care and their mission to eradicate the epidemic of back pain throughout the world check them out Uh, be sure to google world spine care know their mission and keep in your uh, calendars open for a virtual summit that's coming soon, we are gonna put on as a benefit for World Spine Care. It's gonna have a lot of great speakers from the World Spine Care community and research and practice communities to tell you how awesome World Spine Care is and you can support them by watching that virtual summit and learning uh, and, and expanding your mind. So stay tuned for the World Spine Care virtual summit. That should be, uh, I think it's gonna be sometime May or June is the forecast for when that'll be launched. Uh, We also support CARL, which is the Chiropractic Academy of Research Leadership. Their mission is to produce chiropractic scientists and teach them how to do amazing research to expand our research horizons in the profession. So check out uh, the CARL Research Fellows, and you can also Google them up too. And now for our sponsors, these are the folks that support you. Uh, The listeners of the show, they support the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance members all of our group members, and they support the missions that we are serving. So they are Cairo Up, Hyperice, the Jane app, Drop Release, T-Tool, China Gel, the Smart Chiropractor, and Gestalt Education. And if you're an FTCA member, there is some sort of deal with every single one of them that gives you the benefit of being a member of Ford Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. All right, so that's the housekeeping. One more housekeeping bit if you're listening. We are right at the precipice of launching our annual event. We're back. We survived the pandemic, and now we're back to live events. And the next one is going to be September 23rd through the 25th in New Orleans, Louisiana. We're calling it Breakthroughs on the Bayou, and uh, all the details are coming out soon. So our next guest, I'm very interested. So I I love interviewing sort of the polymath type of individuals, the ones that are not just in practice and brilliant, not that being in practice and brilliant isn't amazing, but I love the ones that just seem to push further. They write books, they get extra degrees, they expand their professional uh, horizons beyond just chiropractic. They can talk about anything at any time. They're wells of knowledge and innovators in such uh, different ways. And I'm fascinated to collect them all on this podcast. It's like my own little uh, 
Hot Wheels collection of great interviews that I've had here on this podcast. And I'm excited about this one too. This is Dr. Jeffrey Kronk, uh, who is a chiropractor and an attorney. And Dr. Jeff, I, I can't even do your, v, your CV justice. You've been published in scientific journals multiple times. You've been published in magazine articles multiple times. I love that your bio highlights mostly that you're a father and a grandfather first, because those are the types of bios I make. <laughs> I, husband I, as well. Don't forget. Husband. Oh, yeah. Well, you got that kind of comes with the territory, right? <laughs> Sometimes. Um, and we're, we're going to take this interview. It doesn't matter where it goes, because I already know we're going to get something from it. But you are the CAO and creator and founder of Smart Injury Doctors. What the heck is Smart Injury Doctors? We can start there. Smart Injury Doctors is really easy. What we do is we help doctors to advance their, expand their, their injury services in the injury market. And we, we do it by helping to show them a niche um, that they can go after. That's pretty much, there's no competition for this actual niche. So we help them show them how to become unique and then how to expand their services in that market, in the injury, in the spinal injury market. Uh, why do you create the unique terminology spinal injury instead of the plain old uh, personal injury moniker that is always used? Well, you could, you know, obviously spinal injuries are in personal injury, but they're also in work comp injury. They're also in home injuries. They're also in public, public place injuries. Those are the four places that you can get injured. So it's not just personal injury, but of course it also means personal injury as well. Fantastic. So I, I cued you into a little bit of kind of what our our sort of uh, main forward thinking member member is yeah and forward thinking is a weird so a lot of people use that as pejorative you know like you you say something and they don't agree with it then they'll go that's not very forward thinking right that's not what we mean by forward thinking here what i meant when i named it the forward thinking chiropractic alliance was that we want people to think about being better in the future being better tomorrow than you are today absolutely and so we, we kind of circle around all of that. And a lot of the forward thinking chiropractors that we tend to inherit in our group are really into the evidence, but they're also constrained in a lot of ways. And I, I know you know what I mean when I say they're constrained. They're sort of constrained on a psychological level about what they can accomplish in practice, what being in practice means, and, and where they fit in this world. And I know you have a different vision for where chiropractors can fit in this world. And I would like you to uh, entertain us with that vision. Yeah, no problem. No problem at all. So um, just a little bit of background. Yes, I started out as a chiropractor in 1988. I worked, it was in a high volume clinic. I was an associate there. I spent my weekends doing spinal screenings at the mall. Uh, we were seeing about four or 500, we were seeing about 500 people a week on a four day work, work week. And so I went from student to very fast paced practice. And I would look and I would say, Jesus, it was really interesting. We, you know, we treated this guy 257 times. We've done six sets of x-rays on him for, I'm being a little bit facetious, but sure. You know, 10 re-exams, we're doing the same stuff and he's not really getting better. And I didn't really understand what was going on there. It was very busy practice. And so I was asking clinical questions like, okay, what are we trying to do? Which in those days, everything was paid for. So it was just, it was a, it was a massive machine. And it was a very good machine and we helped a lot of people, but I decided that I, I thought I could do it better, went out on my own. And for the first two years of private practice, I think I made $5,000 the first year and $20,000 the second year, opened a practice, thought I could just you know open it and people would come. And then did some consulting, turned it around, 
became really good at selling chiropractic and producing results with it and everything else. But I got very bored. Like all of a sudden now I'm doing really well, making money, but I got bored because I was like, okay, is this all there is to it? So for you forward thinking, science-based um, practitioners, I was like, there's got to be more. So at that point, I decided I want to be one of the top 2% in the world that could realign a spine because no matter what I was doing with my treatment programs, and this would be a very fast story, but no matter what I was doing with my treatment programs, when I did a re-x-ray, it was exactly the same. So no matter what I did, exercises, posture pumps, various things that I tried to do, it didn't really change the spine. And that's what I was basically selling the person that I was supposed to be doing. So I hooked up with a guy named... Harold McCoy, who was an early pioneer, got, he was the first chiropractor in the United States Olympics team, got information in the AMA guides that was pertinent to chiropractic, did a whole lot of things behind the scenes, ran a company called Spinologic Diagnostics at the time and Myologic Diagnostics. One was an outcome assessment procedure uh, set up kind of like JTEC is, and the other was an intersegmental testing procedure that showed you how bad the ligaments were damaged in the spine in a spinal injury. I thought, oh my God, that's absolutely brilliant. Now in my injury patients, I can know how badly damaged they are. Did a lot of research, put a lot of stuff together on it and started booming. But I still, he then hooked me up with Burl Pettibon and I was off to the races and now I was realigning spines and helping doctors across the country with Burl Pettibon, helping them to teach and doing various things with that, doing research, doing all kinds of interesting things. Then the next metamorphosis in my practice was like, okay, I'm doing Medicare, I'm doing insurance, I'm doing cash, and I'm doing injury work. And the most lucrative and the thing that I liked the most was the injury work. Now, the injury work comes with medical legal situations. It comes with, you know, a whole set of things. They all do, no matter if you're doing cash or if you're doing insurance or you're doing a hybrid of it, they all have their own thing. Right. Now, if you want to span in a practice, you have to decide what vehicles, a lot of you out there that are, you're going, hey, I've got these big goals. Maybe you have some big goals. Maybe you want to be, you know, you want to be able to be not in a jail called your clinic. I built a big jail when I first started, <laughs> uh, which means, I mean, it was very, very productive, but everyone had to see me. So if I tried to take a vacation, I would lose a week's worth of patient visits, which was like, oh my God, that's a, large amount of money. And then I would have to pay for the vacation so I could never get away. That's because you get branded as the practitioner in a typical clinic. In an injury clinic, the clinic is branded. You're not branded. The person doesn't care who they treat with. But if you take somebody who's had headaches for 10 years and they've never been able to get a solution and you provided that solution to them, it doesn't matter who you try to put in as an associate or anything else, they want to be with you. So you become the brand and that when you become the brand, you are creating a little mini jail. Some of you already hit it. Some of you are building it. Some of you have hit it and don't know what to do with it. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I advise a lot of people not to name their practices after themselves. Yeah. Totally. They, st they still do it anyways. Yeah. No, no, no. You, you want to get yourself. So I decided at that point, the injury, 55% of people, even higher statistics, depending on who you want to research, if you're a research junkie, the statistics of a person having a spinal injury and fully recovering are dismal. They're bad. Now, when you look at that, somebody like me looks at it and says, that is not a patient problem. That's a doctor problem. 
that's that's not bad patients that's bad doctors that's bad procedures that's bad out that's bad treatment protocols that's bad because the results are bad and when the results are bad then you know people suffer so everything that i've done in my career has been to improve patient outcomes now it just so happens when that you can do that to build an injury practice, but that also will get you referrals with attorneys, referrals with medical doctors. It practically would get you referrals from insurers, um, employers, unions. So everything I do is lead has been to make it easier to understand what is the injury. And everybody on the, on the call today, or everybody that'll listen to this, you're a chiropractor just like I am, or you're a medical doctor, or you're a, you're a, DO or you're a doctor of PT, guess what? None of us have had a formalized education on spinal injuries, but yet spinal injuries are the number one cause of chronic pain and disability in the world today. No formalized education in any chiropractic school, medical school, DO school, DPT school. Break that down because people are going to be indignant. How dare you say that? I have a license. Yes, of course you have a license. They showed me the spine in school. Yes, but if I were to ask you, what are the three main injuries that any spine can have? It's like, one, there's only three, and then two, I don't know, right? So the simplicity of spinal injuries is that there are only three main injuries because there's only two tissues to a spine. There's just connective tissue and there's bone. So the spinal cord is not, it's a, it's a connected, organ tissue in a different system that's intimately connected to the spine. But if you damage the spinal cord, it's not a spinal injury. You could damage the spinal cord without ever damaging the spine. The nerves are connected. I could sever a nerve and never damage the spine. I could sever spinal muscles and never, never damage the spine. The spine itself is only two components. So what I've been able to do very successfully, and this is what I guess my superpower has been is to grind and grind and grind and grind on a subject that's complex until I can get it really, really simple. For the chiropractors on the call today, whether you like the term subluxation or not, the foundation, the, the, the basic of the, of the profession was founded on it. If I go back to a technique book in 1915, it will say, the only way you get a subluxation is the contact with the body in its environment. It's through trauma. So the more you understand trauma, it doesn't matter what else you're treating in a spine, you understand everything else that you're doing a whole lot better. And if you're a research junkie, there's no better area of research guidelines. Um, it's a research science-based junkies habit in that space. There are gonna be well, shoot. I mean, there's skeptics everywhere, but where, in what situations has the rubber met the road for your studies and your, uh, the information that you've collected and the system you've created? Where has it, in what situations has it been proven? What, what we have as far as skeptics is people who are, who are into more recent research that is more uh, biopsychosocial in nature. You know, they are taught in schools now, and I don't, I don't I'm not going to say they're right or wrong. I'm not that smart, but they're being taught in schools that the, the biomechanical is not nearly as important as the neurological implications or the social uh, 
implications of what you think you're experiencing as far as injury goes Good. or your, your lived experience, not the biomechanical experience. Yep. So we could pull up a, we could pull up an article from the American family physicians website. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a research and a guidance for medical doctors on how to handle low back injuries and get people back to work. And so in that article, in that, it's not an article, in that, in that published guideline slash research, because it's all based on research, um, they will openly say that 90% of the time they do not know what is causing the problem, the symptom, the pain. Right. Okay, two sentences later, they'll say that um, the demands of the job, understanding the demands of the job and the underlying pathology are not important. <laughs> Rather, what is important is the, now they'll openly say they don't know what the underlying pathology is. Right. 90% of the time, we don't know what the pathology is, but we will then state, since we don't know what the pathology is, we don't believe that's important to know about because we believe it's the psychosocial. So what is the psychosocial? Well, the psychosocial can be um, somatization of the, of the condition. What is that? A patient can't get their attention off their injury. A patient can't get their attention off any condition if nobody can solve it for them. And they really can't get their attention off them if nobody can tell them what's causing it. Right? Excessive pain levels. All right. That's a no brainer. Fear avoidance. Hey, if I'm on a job and my back hurts and I, I just go, nobody can tell me why and nobody can go, this is what's causing it and what I should do to actually strengthen it and rehab it. Of course, I'm going to have fear avoidance. So when you look at the psychosocial factors, they're symptoms and they're symptoms of an underlying undiagnosed physical condition. And if you want to go with science of the physical conditions, you, you, all you have to do is say, all right, great. If I say, name me, a, name me a symptom, a common symptom of the spine, and I'll direct you out to a website like Medscape or anybody else that says, oh, here's what they have, and here's where your symptom falls right in that list. And what is it? It's a spinal ligament injury. You look up sprain, spinal ligament sprain causing spinal instability, and you look at what are the, what are the known medical indications and symptoms for that condition it's a it's a it's the laundry list of what you're treating currently yeah it's an interesting philosophical proposition so if we're saying something like fear avoidance behavior is a symptom now we've taken these younger physicians who feel like the biopsychosocial approach is the primary approach that should be done and now we've reduced them to what we think is the worst type of physician in the world, the one who only treats symptoms. Full circle, well, once again. Here's the thing. You could say uh, the psychosocial factor is the cause of their problem. Good. How do you treat it? How do you adjust it? How do you, what, what, what do you do with it? That's not your, that's not, there are so many easier ways. And here's what I find when, when you have that type of a practice, you are gonna have a very struggling, you know, there's always gonna be the outlier for what I'm talking about. Sure. Right? But what I, what I find in my experience is that that's the struggling practice. That's the practice that doesn't understand exactly, can't communicate enough to have good consistency of care because they're not totally understanding the product that they deliver. And when you don't understand the product that you deliver, the people that you're delivering into won't understand it either. So you'll be struggling with ups and downs and, hey, I, I got to go 
try to rustle up as many new patients as I can. Then I got to treat them. And now I'm so busy treating them because I'm worried about, well, what biopsychosocial factor does this one have? And does this one have? And does this one have? And you, you're, you're off. You're off. In, in my experience, you're off. Very easy to realign you. Very easy to realign. But you're off. You're out of alignment. And if you're out of alignment, you're, out of, you're, you're not as functional as you could be. So when you, here's the thing with science. Science is very interesting. You can read it. I, I spent years looking at it. Um, and I still do. Um, science is very interesting, but here's my challenge to you. Instead of, instead of reading or waiting for science, nobody's actually possibly ever given you permission. I'm gonna give you permission tonight. Science, you can create, you can contribute, you can make science, right? Science is research, science is publishing case studies, science is taking a, a premise and publishing on that what you see to be true, right? So you, you don't just have to wait for somebody's science. You can start creating the science yourself. Yeah, it's like that there's a meme that goes around. It's a guy who's sitting at a table and usually there's some sort of statement that says, change my mind. You know, like uh, the, the Dodgers are the best baseball team in the world. Change my mind. And he's sitting there holding his coffee mug. And that's basically what science is, research. It's you put something out there with the best data, mathematics, assessment, whatever you want to call it, and you put it out into the world and you say, here is my hypothesis. Now all the rest of you change my mind. Bobby, I tell you what, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in Breckenridge, Colorado. I'm at an exclusive resort there. Uh, I don't, I think it was the International Whiplash Association. It was a group, Chris Centeno, I think, ran it years and years ago. He's an MD out of Colorado. And, uh, they had the, you know, this was, this was probably, gosh, I want to, I'm going to date myself. This might've been like 20 years ago. You already dated yourself, bro. Yeah, it's all right. You, you um, practiced in the Mercedes eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was only 12 when I started. Um, so, uh, overachiever. So, so basically I'm sitting with the world's top pain researcher. He's out of Denmark. I can't think of his name right now. I, everybody's scrambling to get at a table to sit with this guy. And I happen to be sitting right next to him. Like just, you know, whatever, fate of God, whatever. So I'm sitting there and everybody's, oh my God. So I said to him, it was like, yeeves aren't, or yeeves. I can't think of his name right now. I'd have to look him up. Anyway, I'm sitting there and I said to him, how do you decide what to research? Do you ever go to the providers themselves and say, look, what are you guys struggling with? What, what area, what, where do you need help? And engage the, the providers that are actually going to use your research so you know how to guide what research you do. And he's like, never, no way. Yeah. It's not what we do. I said, well, how do you do it? And he said, it's really easy. We have a fund. We get research, grants, and money. And we have to, we have to comply with a score that we need to hit in order to maintain those. I said, what does that mean? He said, well, if, if I publish in the British Medical Journal, I might get 20 points. If I publish in this level of journal, I get 10 points. So if I publish in these levels of journal, I get this many. So we're allotted a number of points. So we develop the research based on what we think the publication will accept. And I was like, wow. Okay, for a research junkie, that's like, huh, okay. It, it just kind of blew my mind. Um, so research is, is essentially slow. 
um, you know, it, 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 but in the area of injury, it's, it's, there's, it, there's probably the best research there is, is in the area of injury, spinal injury, spinal instability, spinal disc herniation, spinal fractures. Um, it's, it's in that area that I think is the most research. So if your research, the guidelines are like really, really tight. Yes, they are. You can be guideline driven, hundred percent guideline driven. There's guidelines for surgical procedures, guidelines for chiropractic procedures, guidelines for impairment procedures, um, guidelines for activity, return to activity procedures. It's very, very, very well established. So for the, those of you that love to have things that are really well established, it's like a playground you'll never leave. Yes, I did find that uh, we had uh, early on in my career, we had four, I think we expanded into five uh, personal injury and workers' compensation practices in California. Yeah. You know, before the, the, the pen stroke of Arnold Schwarzenegger eliminated pretty much all those businesses. I heard that. Um, and it was quite enjoyable to have a very, because that's a, what a lot of young chiropractors are missing. They, they, really, they really hunger for, tell me how to do this, tell me what to do. And it doesn't all, often exist in their practices. And I'm, I'm like, in the industrial medicine world, it exists completely. They, it's right there in, in all the books. And you can reference these guidelines and you can use these references to guide your treatment decisions and your care decisions and to justify what you're doing at any point in time. And sometimes with the young folks, it completely blows their minds. They don't even know that a lot of these guidelines like uh, uh, ODG or the ACOEM guidelines, they don't even know these things exist. Right. Right. I mean, we're taking, we're taking a, a, a ICA best practice guideline for x-rays. We're taking that guideline and building a, a AI based on that guideline for not only a chiropractic profession, but the medical profession, for any profession, because it so well lays out what should occur in an x-ray examination. It, it, you can't, it, it, it by far is the world's best. That, that guideline, you com combine that diagnostic procedure with standard diagnostic procedures in clinic, that guideline solves the diagnosis of the cause of chronic pain. And remember chronic pain, the lumbar spine is the number one cause of chronic pain. So when you're in the world spine care, one of the things that I set out to do and have a very large goal to do is to standardize spinal injury workups. Um, nobody, spinal injury workups are simple. They're very, there's only three things that, uh, uh, three ways the spine can injure. So only three things to work up. It's all guideline driven and it's all very consensus based. But what would occur is if every chiropractor in the, in the country did the same workup, um, you, you, you cause function through alignment and alignment of procedures interprofessionally is something that will gain more functional market in the, in the market under chiropractic. Because remember, chiropractic is only 0.3%, point, it's a third of 1% of the total market. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's an infinitesimally small market. So you have to be aligned in order to penetrate and have more market, get more market share. You have to be aligned. That's what causes function. So my goal was to standardize spinal injury workups. So just like if you went to the dentist, if you go, if I go to a dentist in Seattle, Seattle, Washington, and say, look, I, you know, I got a sore spot in my tooth. They're going to go, they're going to do the same cavity search. They're going to take some x-rays. They're going to pick, they're going to decide, fill and drill. 
if I come down to Clearwater, Florida, same way. If I go to Rice Lake, Wisconsin, same way. If I go to, if I go anywhere in the country, it's the same. Injuries to the spine should be the same. They're the easiest thing to standardize as far as the workups go. And everybody should be able to look over somebody's shoulder and go, okay, gosh, I've got a disc herniation. I got an MRI or I got an excessive motion test because we got ligament damage to the support ligaments, or I got a CT that shows a fracture and this, and anybody should be able to see, look over your shoulder and look at it and say, okay, yeah, this is a standard workup. And it's only in that area that I think in our profession, standard workups can occur. Yeah. So what are the three, three common ones? We've got, um, excess motion x well you direct direct trauma you have you have bone bone and 220 specialized ligaments that hold those bones together 23 of those ligaments are called discs so you have a disc herniation the support ligaments cranial cervical junction and all the nine support ligaments in any motion unit around the disc are there to support both the alignment of the disc and the alignment of the vertebra so when they're damaged you get excessive motion and instability and accelerated degeneration as a result of that injury and many other things. And they explain the majority of symptoms. So in this, in the spinal injury space, uh, if doctors, if you're in it, you, a lot of doctors are controlled by attorneys. They have to MRI everything, MRI, MRI, MRI. MRI is a very limited test when it comes to a spinal injury workup because a disc herniation itself basically has two basic symptoms associated with it. So it doesn't, it doesn't have headaches, doesn't have dizziness, doesn't have blurred vision, doesn't have tinnitus, doesn't have autonomic nervous system dysregulation. It doesn't have, so if I had a patient that came in and said, look, I got, I was in an auto accident, I got bad headaches, I'm getting dizzy. Um, my eyes seem like they go in and out of focus. I'm a little bit nervous. I got some facial pain, some jaw pain, and some, that's what I had as symptoms. In the personal injury market, still everybody's going to go out for an MRI. Right. Okay. But none of those symptoms are tied to a disc. You can't show me anywhere, you research junkies out there, where this thing causes those symptoms. I don't think any of our research junkies would do that. Right. Well, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. The majority of symptoms are from the support ligament injury that causes the instability. So, that needs to be studied under motion. Yeah. Well, no, you don't. When you say studied under motion, there is a thing called DMX, yeah, which is a very, it's a small, you, you, you can do it with digital x-ray. You don't need, you don't need motion x-ray because your digital x-ray, you're in positions and you can measure how much excessive motion there is in those various positions. But such as flexion, extension. Flexion, extension, and A to P open mouth lateral stress sure. views. Absolutely. Um. The next question for me, when we, yeah. when we talk about this, so, so I'm, I'm picturing a 40 year old female, she's rear-ended in a motor vehicle accident. She has uh, the whiplash, you know, air quotes complaints. She has pain. We're going to assess whether there is flexion and extension, uh, abnormalities on x-ray. Uh, any any sort of movement abnormal, abnormalities on x-ray. One of the questions I would have is, you know, we're probably going to find something. The next question is when it comes to statements like, you know, most of this, most of these things need to be narrowed down to one cause. And that cause would be a spinal ligament injury goes to 
how many people have spinal ligament injuries that are asymptomatic versus people who have spinal ligament injuries that are symptomatic and present? Because is it a common finding for all of us to have spinal ligament injuries or is it actually a causative contributor to why people have pain? Um, I didn't totally understand the last, the last part of that question. So I get the fact of how do you determine if this is pre-existing or not? Similar to, similar to lumbar disc injuries. There are people that have disc herniations walking around and have never had a single complaint or issue or symptom in their entire lives. So that leads some people to say that whatever you want to, however you want to phrase it, that lumbar disc herniations don't matter or protrusions don't matter. Good. So here's the thing the, like, that's the, that's the research. That's the, that's the, that's an interesting game. So I'm going to flip it just a little bit in this case that you're describing to me, does the patient have an injury? Is the patient been injured? Yes. There's a mechanism of injury and there's symptomatic complaint. Yes. Okay, good. And so no matter what, um, like I could just go, okay, if you understand four terms, four legal terms, because I did my thesis on pre-existing conditions. Yeah, there's a reason I asked an attorney this question. It's rhetorical. Okay. So you have, an active, you have an active and a dormant pre-existing condition. So active pre-existing condition is I had a disc herniation. I had the MRI two months ago. I've been suffering with back pain ever since. I'm in an auto accident now and I have back pain. I don't have any other condition. I have back pain. The back pain is not changed in any way, in any shape for, or shape or form. I think everyone would agree that that's due to an active pre-existing condition. Would you agree? Um, I'm not going to get caught into agree or disagree. I know how you right. attorneys operate. It doesn't change. Nothing's changed, right? <laughs> Patient lures disc. No, I agree because that's how you would. That's how you would argue these cases. Um, well, but that's you know. normally not the case. That's normally not the case. What is normal in the case? is you have a person who doesn't have any problems. They haven't been treating anywhere. They haven't been doing anything. So you have this thing called a mechanism of injury. Our Croft was great for our profession for mechanism science. I'm a big injury science guy. So mechanism science is the science behind the mechanism of the injury. Mechanism is the force delivery system that causes the injury in the first place. So if, if I shoot you in the shoulder with a bullet, my mechanism of injury is a gun a bullet. That's the mechanism. That's the delivery system, right? So each mechanism, if I, if I get burned with hot grease, it leaves a different type of injury pattern behind, right? So that's called mechanism of injury. And each mechanism leaves a consistent injury pattern behind if it's going to injure the part. So our mechanisms in spinal injuries are compression and shear forces. So if the spine were damaged, what's consistent with that damage is shearing, which causes the shear of the ligaments, which causes the excessive motion. And then we also have disc herniation from the compression aspect of it. And the shear and compression can also do damage to the bone. So one, most people have inflammatory findings when they, when they have a fresh injury that they don't have with some chronic condition that's not causing them any problems. So of course, you're going to determine, you're going to go interspinally and you're going to go, okay, is there a sensitivity here? Is there inflammation here? Now, the only problem with neck injury, it'd be neat if the neck would just swell like three times the size of its normal self, like an ankle does, right? Yeah, that'd be awesome. You know, it'd be awesome. You walk in and go, okay. 
So when you have the terms active and dormant pre-existing condition, those are medical legal terms and they're terms throughout law. Um, a dormant pre-existing condition is not a part of injury causation. It's a part of, hey, this weakened the structure. This can definitely weaken the structure. And the other thing is, if you have, um, you're, you're also looking at, did I exacerbate a condition or did I um, aggravate a condition? And aggravation is a new injury on top of a pre-existing condition. But even that, like I've been doing this for 20 years, rarely do we ever have to get into that. The apportionment? Never, rarely, yeah. rarely, because you're not dealing with an active pre-existing condition. So many, just to interrupt there, how many field chiropractors do you think do are dealing with an apportioned type of injury and they don't even know it? Like, so my, the patient I just mentioned, she did have an acute ongoing active injury with her whiplash injury. Yeah. She gets resolved. She gets whatever symptomatic resolution. The case yeah. is closed. She's at maximum yeah. medical improvement. Yeah. She goes on and lives her life 10 years later. She's gardening, uh, has similar symptoms or at least similar body region and goes into a standard Cairo's office because now personal injuries coverage isn't covering it or whatnot. How many of those folks are walking into the field Cairo's offices and they don't even know they're dealing with, or they don't even consider the, the apportionment of previous injuries. Well, when you say apportionment, apportionment usually is a medical term. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Like they don't consider that this might be contributing from a previous injury. 100%. 100%. If you understand injury, you're going to understand the chronic pain patient or the, the episodic chronic pain patient because the thing that causes acute pain causes chronic or episodic chronic pain later. So let me ask you this. Can these spinal injuries, these primary spinal injuries be fixed? Can they be corrected? Can they be quote unquote cured? Uh, yeah, but let, let's talk about what we do. So we're like the mechanic. We're the auto mechanic that can take an engine that's not functioning properly and we cannot add a new part to it. That's right. All right. So we have to get the truck to go for 300,000 miles, 76 years, 85, not replacing any parts. Right. So we have to work, even though the part is well worn out or the part is damaged, we have to still work with that damaged part. That damaged part is permanent because we can't replace it with a brand new part. So the, the injuries themselves are permanent, but the circumstances around the injury can be rehabilitated so the person doesn't have to suffer with it for the rest of their life. So I let mean, me ask you this then. Yeah, go ahead. Why are these people showing up later on, my patient example there 10 years later, showing up in another office without that ever being resolved initially? Well, think of like, did the patient's weight change? The patient's diet change? The patient's habits change? The patient's, uh, you know, there's a thousand reasons why that could start to show up in that patient. My initial thought is it was never corrected or uh, fixed or repaired or cured, whatever you want to call it initially. Well, two, two part, probably you're right. And then the other thing is it was never main, you know, the spine is like teeth. Um, you should maintain your spine. But people don't have that idea. They don't have that. They don't have that idea that they should do that. Now, I, myself as a practitioner, we had lots and I had lots and lots of patients under just patient return is needed or see me, you know, four times a year. Um, and so, it, the more the chiropractors are out there talking right now, 
Um, I've been on a chiropractic here my whole life. I played national level rugby. I broke my shoulder. Never in, never in rugby did I do any of this. Broke my shoulder in five places. I broke my collarbone in two places twice. I broke my arm. I broke my wrist and I broke my leg and dislocated my ankle and I broke my Achilles tendon. Now, by all estimates, I should have some form of chronic pain. I don't have any. But I've been under chiropractic here my whole life. Now, I was stupid. I should have my Achilles tendon reattached. That was a very stupid thing. That was a very chiropractic off the rails thing. Time for a different story. But what I'm saying <laughs> is that well, I, I, I was like, oh, my God. I, I was, remember that jail I talked about early on? Yeah, you had to get back to work, right? Oh, man, I had to get back to work. I, you know, <laughs> just put the boot on and let me go. And, you know, I'll figure it out or rehab it later. You still saw 350 that. that, that yeah, day. it was just it was a ridiculous. It's like when I look back at it, it was just ridiculous because, I, you know, I got a, a bad wheel for the rest of my life as a result of it until I, unless I want to go fix it. So it's just the other thing with 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 injury care, it's the easiest care to communicate that I've found so that you can convert a person to understand that they should do something for their spine lifetime, lifelong. It, no doubt about it. So Bobby, when you're talking about, hey, yeah, probably didn't get resolved in the beginning, but it also never got, probably no one ever told them, hey, there's some things that you should do, exercises you can do for the rest of your life that'll help this. Um, or you should see a doctor of chiropractic every once in a while, just to make sure that this condition stays stable so, you know, I would agree. Yeah. yeah, I think, uh, and I, the podcast I just did previous to you, Yeah, uh, Professor Stu McGill has been a mentor of mine. And early on in my career, that was one of the first things he ever asked me was, uh, you know, Bobby, where do patients go when they don't see you anymore? And of course I was young. I'm like, I, I assume they got better and left. And him as a researcher, he's like, you have no idea where they go or what lives they live after you've left, they've left your office. Uh, it's very important to follow through and, and track them and make sure you know where they went and see if these things have resolved because it'll yeah. help you as a clinician understand how bad you actually are or how good you actually are. Um, and most of us don't. Most of us have no idea where Mary and Joe and Steve and Sue all went. You just assumed, you know, the case is over and they're gone, but they go on and live these lives decades later without anyone sort of checking in on them, making sure they're taking care of themselves and they're not sliding. I'll tell you what, Bobby, and you're probably the same way. I got to the point where it's like, hey, look, um, this patient that comes in, I don't care what they came in for. I don't care how they were, how young they were, what injury, non-injury, whatever, came in for headaches, whatever it was. Um, I always saw, thought, okay, they're going to be my patient until they expire or I retire. So now they may decide to switch and go to somebody else, but that's fine. Then they got handed off to somebody else. They're still under somebody's care. Yeah. Or, you know, even if it's, they see you once every two years, it's, it's still, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. And that's what it deters a lot of young chiros because they, they're very, they have a distaste in their mouth for continued care. You know, passive care has a bad rap and it should have a bad rap because you can really get way too overdependent on passive care and not encourage the patient to take responsibility for their own lives. But passive care can also be quite beneficial. It can also be the bridge between, um, between them not taking responsibility and starting to take responsibility for their own life with a little passive care in between to soothe the conversation. There's a lot of ways to go through this, the, the art yeah. of being a chiropractor. 
what's, in, what's interesting yeah. here is you know my listeners some of them are going to give me a hard time because they know how much i'm driven by evidence and they know we know right now that we are talking to somebody who's got much more of a uh you know you can almost say a straighter chiropractic philosophy on this show i've got you know you already mentioned the ica i've got to say i've got to congratulate you you're probably one of the first ica aligned doctors who have ever been on this podcast and it's not a bad thing it doesn't hurt no one's dying these are interesting conversations to have you know what i'm saying yeah i tell you what i tell you what the interesting thing so it took me a long time but i I took so science is an organized body of information that's organized for the purpose of solving problems in that area. That's what all science is. Yeah, now, but the, uh, but these kids these days need the science for certainty. They don't have any other sources of certainty, so they're they're walling themselves in with science to prove that they are right in the world that they see, they're right it for their own self righteousness. Right, but but. Philosophy is the reason why it was organized in the first place. So philosophy and science are inherent. If you go back 200 years ago, you would see the science was called the philosophy of metallurgy. Today, it's called the science of metallurgy. Philosophy and science are inherent. And you can't have one without the other because one is the decision of why you want to organize the the science and the, the body and knowledge to solve problems in the first place. And two, the science is the actual organization and the production of solutions with that body. So they're inherent. So when people, it's like, when, people, when I hear people argue, like, oh, in our profession, like, well, I'm, I'm philosophically based or I'm, sci- I'm science-based, I'm like, wow, that's, it's like kind of a... No, it's dumb. It's, it's a dumb thing to say. And I even tell people on my side, side, you know what I'm saying, right? Like yeah, totally. That um, that is... That is one of the dumbest or most ill-informed statements that can be made because everybody has a philosophy, you know, uh, to misquote Ayn Rand, you, we all have a philosophy, whether you like it or not, whether you create your own uh, willfully and with some dutifully dutiful study, or you just collect a garbage heap of a philosophy from other people, a mongrel philosophy, I think is what she referred to it as, but either way you have a philosophy. It's a philosophy. Everybody has you, how you raise your kids, how you handle your marriage, what your business taxes are, what your, so what, what we have here in this conversation is we have an individual who's got decades of experience, who's put work in and has come to some conclusions and hypotheses and has put them to work and even published, uh, written and spoke about them uh, based on a philosophy. Now, other people can put the burden of proof on you to prove it, I guess, but this opens up great conversations because now we can say you, you make some very and you're not the only one who makes these points, but you make some very strong, solid points for how to manage a human body. It creates interesting questions about past, present, and future, what these patients and what they experience. It creates questions about what the evidence says now and how, how complete those statements that the evidence makes, such as you know putting biopsychosocial above biomechanics, um, that biomechanics don't matter or structural injury doesn't matter as much as the biocycle approach does. All these things can now be, should be, and can be discussed in a way that's rational um, uh, and in an open forum without people flipping out like they usually do on the internet and calling each other names. 
I would love to have the old days where you just had the all the scientists in the same room, and they yeah. just got they just got to debate, or they didn't have to be a, a, a scientist. You just you actually got to debate so you could sane out a truth out of it. Yeah, I was in Berlin for the um, uh, oh, what is that organization? I'm I'm blanking right now, so I'm on my third podcast of the day. That's no, fine. So a major uh, organization in Berlin. Yeah the the World Chiropractic. Council or association. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's supposed to be presented somewhat like that. Yeah. But it, it doesn't go like that these days. You, yeah. you also have to have this. I think you also have to have the, the slight temptation that a fist fight might break out. Like you got to have it up to that edge where people need to be willing to, to punch each other. And then yeah. you'll get to some real talking. <laughs> Instead of everyone just trying to play gotcha. Like everyone, yeah. everyone in Berlin was trying to play gotcha. Like I got you on this study. Or obviously... You know, it was like a Deed Harrison, like, obviously, you've never read this study that was published in nothing from 1982 that said this one sentence. It's like, thanks for the gotcha moment, but let's have a conversation. Right. Well, the uh, thing is, when I when I say alignment improves function, alignment is equal to agreement. Yeah. <laughs> right. So disagree, a profession that's scattered with disagreements, which when I say alignment improves function, I've been in our profession, a member of our profession, contributing to our profession. And I openly will tell anyone our profession is the most misaligned profession of all the professions that I work with. Yeah. So why is it non-functional? Why is it at 0.3%, you know, point a third of 1% of market share? Why isn't it, why isn't every state in the country dumping their injury, employers dumping their injury work into doctors of chiropractic? Why isn't, why isn't, why aren't the schools filled? Why isn't there parity of, of payment? Why isn't there, all of those reasons are one root cause, misalignment within the profession. So the profession decides it really wants to achieve those things and it's willing to do whatever it takes to achieve those things, which the biggest thing is it has to align. You can have nonconformity. I mean, I could have an army of nonconformists as long as they're going down the same road and they're fighting the same enemy. No, we just have an army of nonconformists. Nonconformists with no no big future goal of like, okay, what are we going for as a group anyway? No, no, that's not that's not happening at all. Yeah. So, um, and I think the biggest thing you said there was to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Correct. So, whoever is clinging on to whatever they cling on to, at some moment they have to let it go, and then come to the table and say, "I've let that go. Now, what what can we agree upon?" Yeah, it's, 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 it's very easy. That, well, here's the thing. When you, when you get like good science base and not totally, in my experience, many providers and in myself, it's true. This was so true for me when I was super, super, I had to know before I go, I had to know before I go, right? I need to be perfect. Sure. Right? Perfection. Paralysis, paralysis paralysis by analysis. Paralysis by analysis or perfection is the, you know, the other term for perfectionism is procrastination. Right. You're not getting out there and you're not you're not you're not making a big impact through action. A lot of times imperfect action is much better than no action at all or little small action that, uh, you know, a lot of providers, you know, they don't have a lot of sphere of influence because they're not big enough yet. And they're not willing to go, OK, what am, what do I need to do to be the main figure, the main doctor in my community? the main top of the line, uh, easy to communicate with the neurosurgeons, the, 
the surgeons, the spinal surgeons, the GPs, the physiatrists, the pain management injection, all across the board, top of the line. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? And just really, really elevate to that level. And it doesn't matter where you are today, because exactly what this whole group is about is the future is tomorrow. The future is 10 days from now. The future is a month from now. It's a year from now. That's right. And the more that you keep your mind on whatever, I, I tell you what, goals themselves, having a goal of what you want to do in your practice is what keeps you out of trouble. It keeps you from getting lost, right? Because let's say you've got a goal, a 10-year goal or a five-year goal, and it's, it's a big enough goal that's going to major impact your life if you hit it. If you get off track, if you get dispersed, you can always relocate yourself by just looking at that goal and saying, right now, is what I'm doing, is this contributing in any way to this goal? If I'm watching Netflix for three hours a night, every night, is this contributing to my goals? Yeah, they'll major in minor things. Yeah. So, you know, you just get, get right back on track. But again, the easiest place I know to expand practice-wise today and the, and the, the most, especially when you have an economy that's seriously shifting and it's going to continue to shift. People are going to have less and less income. To me, the injury space is the, it's, that space grows. The other space retracts, that space grows. Yes. So providers may want to think about that particular space a little bit more. Plus the right. other thing, Bobby, and I know you know this, but for every thousand patients that are in your database, about 110 injury incidents occur in that database every year. So I have providers that come into our programs. They have 20,000 patients in their database and they want to know how they, they want, they're not doing much injury work and they want to know how to do more injury work. And it's like, wow, you have 2,200 injury incidents in that database every year, but you're not communicating to it. You're not talking about what is a problem when a person has an injury. For those of you that really are in the biopsychosocial, that's the general practitioner. So if you think that a person is better off going to the general practitioner, because they're way better at the psychosocial aspect and they have way better treatment for it. They have drugs. They have all kinds of really cool things that they can do. Um, they can send the person out to the psychiatrist. Yeah, they will out. actually refer. <laughs> right. If you think that that's where they really should be going. Yes. And I'm going to tell you you're off track. Way off track. Um, you need to understand the underlying condition that causes what they have, because that's what they're looking for. When you get to that point, you have, a, you have patients who have suffered for years you identify the exact condition, you, you nail it. When you nail it, you know you nailed it because it's actually causing the person to seriously improve. They will be profoundly thankful for you because you just named it. Now, if you can name it and treat it, they're lifelong, lifelong. So, but the big thing is you have to be able to name it because they're, they're going around to all kinds of doctors that are still struggling with well, what is really causing it? We're going to go out into the abstract area of biopsychosocial. And that is a really abstract world. Um, that's a, that there's, there's no like solidity to that. There's no, okay, what can I put my finger on or what can I measure right. to that world? Yeah. And fortunately we have things like the yellow flag questionnaire. It's an outcome assessment tool where you can, if a new patient comes in, you can identify that right out the bat. Like, Oh, this is actually completely uh, psychosocial and you can make that referral instead of playing Dr. Phil in your office. Right. And then the rest of them, which will be most of them uh, it's your world. So I think we've, we, 
you know, before we sort of wrap up and I want you to tell everyone a little bit more about what you do specifically, I think we can come to some general conclusions here of what everyone can sort of agree on. One, we don't really track our patients very well and hold on to them when they need to be held on to as much as we should. That's one. Two, all of this stuff that we've talked about can be tracked through outcome assessment. So you can put your money where your mouth is. You can actually see if you're actually making people better and you can track the rates of improvement and you can be even more confident in what you're doing. Um, And three, I don't, I mean, I don't think we, I don't, I don't think we disagree. I don't disagree with you at all. I think there are always going to be questions I can ask because I'm a question asker. I like to tear things apart and then put them back together. Yeah. Um, I know there are people out there that would listen to this and disagree. And I would say, listen again, and then use the same formula you would use in your own life for things you already agree with, as in, can this be measured? Uh, Can I attach outcomes to it? And can I find some uh, supporting evidence for what what's being said here? And I think you can, I think you completely can. So there are a lot of different, and that's one. So you're, you're locked in somewhat of a conundrum. You want, you want the world of chiropractic to be unified under one mission. However, you're presenting uh, a mission, like we can all present a hundred different missions and it's a big, a big puzzle to be locked into. But I think even with all the different missions, we can at least start saying things like, what do we agree on? And yeah, um, well, and, like and I, I think we agree on a lot. Yeah. I mean, if we said, Hey, we want the profession to grow. I don't think anybody's going to be all right to make more money. No, no. I don't think anybody's going to, we want the profession to have greater market share. Nobody's going to have a problem with that. We want the profession to have parity of payment. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to. So there are key things and that's the beauty of, of a leader. A leader will take key things that nobody can disagree with and make that the mission. That's called alignment. Um, the thing that's that, what you call it. <laughs> oh, well, right. But when, when, you, when you say, well, it's an alignment of ideas or it's alignment of, the, of, a, peop, of a people. It's something that everyone can kind of get behind because it. Yeah. yeah Functional you, competency of the profession. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. All right. So tell me about your mission. Tell me what you guys do. So again, my mission has been to standardize spinal injury workups. We teach doctors in the Smart Injury Doctors program. We teach doctors the simple understanding of the injuries themselves. We show you the guidelines. We show you the science. We show you the, the, the things that you do as a doctor so that you're, you're understanding the documentation needs of the injury market. It's a little bit different. You're understanding what you can do to improve the outcomes for the patient, which that patient's an acute injury patient's a little bit different. and we teach it all in a format that is, I don't, you don't have to, you don't have to believe me. I don't teach any personal opinion or personal philosophies. I, it's all, what does a guideline say? What does this guideline say? What can you read? Um, so it's all guideline driven. And then we teach you how to take advantage of the assets that you have to start to grow your practice. Things like your staff, show you how to train your staff, show you procedures that get your, get you referrals because no matter what you're doing, I don't care if you're science-based, you're philosophically based or whatever, if you're in business, you're trying to expand your business. 
You're trying to provide more money for your family. You're trying to make it so you can go on vacations. You're trying to make it so you can pay for your kids' education anywhere in the world they want to go. You're trying to do those things, and those things require money, and business requires then expansion. So we teach you how to build a team that actually assists with your own expansion, including your patient base. We teach you how to communicate back to that patient base so that you can start to generate more referrals. Then we provide you with incredible marketing resources, done-for-you marketing resources that you can quickly take, make your own, and now you have resources, patient information resources, attorney education resources, medical doctor education resources. And then the fourth component of it is we teach you, once you start doing that marketing, what to do to follow up. So some very basic business skills um, so that it makes it easier for you to be successful in that space. And that's, that's pretty much what we do. Awesome. Uh, where can people check all this stuff out? They would call us at 800-940-6513, or they could check us out at smartinjurydoctors.com. And Bobby, for your members um, afterwards, if they used, what would, be a good, what would be a good thing for them to use? We'll offer your guys something unique, um, something, we'll give them something special. What would? Um, you just put, use forward. Forward that works. Yeah. Forward thinking. Yeah, that works. Okay. Yeah. So if you yeah, know, that's not very forward thinking as, as always. Yeah, if you just measure forward thinking, um, we'll give you something special as a result of you just mentioning that you heard it on this podcast. Sweet. Uh, it goes without saying, uh, anyone who walks in a conversation with uh, an individual like you knows that you have probably most likely definitely impacted uh, an innumerable amount of people in your life. Yep. with what you've done. Um, it, I can always tell in the bio when you mention that you're a family man <laughs> and you don't have to mention all your accomplishments in the bio, we yeah. know that you, you, you live in the confidence and the certainty that you've already made an impact. So um, first and foremost, I want to ap appreciate you and recognize you for all the impacts you've made. Uh, and hopefully you take plenty of time in your career and in your time to appreciate the impacts you've made as well. And uh, I want to thank you for being on the show. Hey, Bobby, I want to really thank you for providing me the forum to be on the show, asking me to be on the show and for the stuff that you're doing to impact the profession as well. I'm mostly a troublemaker, but that's all right. <laughs> you and I would be, I'm a stinker. Yeah. Call me a stinker. That's fine. <laughs> you and I would be kin. Yeah. Well, we're stinkers with a good, good mission, a good heart, right? Correct. Correct. All right. Thanks. You're welcome.